Legends of the First Empire, Age of Myth by Michael J. Sullivan Chapter 5 Before the Door Delicate, radiant, beautiful. In our eyes, she was every inch a god, and she scared us to death. The Book of Bryn While every other fray in Erebin celebrated, Arion stood alone in a darkened tomb. She put a hand on the marble urn that held Fane Fenelius's ashes. The vessel was eight feet tall, wider at the top, tapered near the bottom, and polished to a smooth luster. Just outside, crowds filled Forella Plaza, all the avenues, and even the palace. A thousand bonfires blazed, commemorating the start of Fane Lothian's reign. Less than a month, and they've already forgotten you. Arion rested her head against the urn. The stone was cold, so very cold. I worry about what's to come and could use your counsel. She paused, straining to hear any faint sound. Fenelius had been the first to wield the art and founded the Mirrorless tribe. In her time, she single-handedly defeated entire armies, built the great tower of Avampartha, and became the fifth Fane, leader of all Frey. Is it so unreasonable to hope she can speak to me from the other side? Why not? The old lady did everything else. But if Fenelius had replied, Arion couldn't have heard over the whoops, cheers, and laughter of the city celebration. The tomb of the old fane was dark. Arion hadn't bothered to light the braziers. Instead, she left the door open to admit the moonlight, and along with it came the noise. Somewhere a group was singing, Awake at the Spring Dawn, but the rendition was so bad that winter was certain to return. The clamor ruined her mood. The very idea that anyone could be happy after Fenelius's passing made her angry. Death wasn't something Ariane was used to. None of them were. Why am I the only one here? The only one who seems to care? Ariane tried to block out the shouts and the singing and focus on the urn. She wasn't going to hear any messages that night, but that wasn't really why she was here. Arion just wanted to say goodbye. Again. I'm going to teach Monduel as you asked. Lothian has decided to allow it, but will that be enough? After all you did, after all you gave me, taught me, will anything ever be enough? I just wanted to. Outside, cries of celebration became shrieks of terror. She rushed out to find a flooded Forella Plaza. The entire square had turned into a lake. From the steps of Fenelius's tomb, Arion could have died from the porch of the sepulcher and not hit bottom. Streamers and banners, splintered boards that once had been part of a stage, and other debris bobbed and spun on the surface. People thrashed and gasped for air. Those who could swim screamed. Those who couldn't weren't able to. Arion flung out her arms and with one loud clap exploded the water. Like stomping in a puddle, the lake burst in a spray that flew in all directions. She did this three more times before the stone was visible again. What had been a marketplace recently decorated for the coronation was now a disaster of shattered shops and horrified people spitting water and holding onto poles or one another. A gaggle of soggy youth picked themselves up, laughing. Arion marched towards them. Who's responsible? Eyes shifted to the tall one in the powder blue robe with a smirk on his face. His name was Aiden. 
a graduate from the Estramadon Academy of the Art less than a decade ago. Aryan had taught him advanced chords. A bright kid. Looking at the faces, she remembered having taught all of them. Some of the younger ones were still in school. Aiden held up his hands in defense. Hey, we all agreed there was absolutely no better use for water on a night like this than a living sculpture of Fane Lothian. Am I right? He grinned at his fellow conspirators. A few smiled and sniggered. Certainly no sense drinking it. Am I right? Am I right? Aiden staggered and the rest of them laughed. You're drunk, Arvion said. But that's not why it failed. Aiden pointed Macaretta. She'd been one of Arion's students as well. A mousy introvert with a wonderful talent for sculpting stone. She took too long getting the features just right. Perfectionist, you know? Macaretta scowled and blushed at the same time. They were all drunk. You tap the Shinari River for a sculpture? Arion asked. Here in the square? Genius, am I right? We were going to have it smile and wink as people walk by. Behind them, an elderly Frey coughed as she got to her feet. She struggled to drag hair from her face as she stared across the plaza. My stand, it's gone. Do you see what you've done? Arion asked the students. If I hadn't been here, if I hadn't intervened, she might have drowned. Aiden looked at the old Frey and shrugged. Who cares? She's not Mirilith. Lothian proved how insignificant, how useless the other tribes are. If they can't take care of themselves, they don't deserve to live. Macaretta must have had less to drink than the others, or perhaps she paid more attention in Arvin's classes because she took a quick step back. With a hiss and a squeezed fist, Arvin summoned light and turned Aiden into a living torch. He shrieked, and the square glowed with brilliant fire as tongues of flame slithered up and down the ringleader's body. The others fell over themselves trying to get away. Looking back, they cringed at the night of their accomplice burning to death. Even the elderly Nilin crafter looked aghast, one arm raised to protect her face, eyes wide in horror. With a quick puff of air, as if she were blowing out a candle, Arion extinguished Aiden. The ex-student shook, but appeared unharmed. Illusion, Macaretta whispered. Arion took a step closer to Aiden. Not so drunk now, am I right? She glared at him. And when she spoke, her tone was cold. Here's the problem with the young. You think you're invincible. Just because Pharaoh's law prevents me from killing you doesn't mean you're impervious to harm. She crept closer. How painful do you think it would be to live 3,000 years without skin? That I can do. And I will if I hear you speaking in such a way again. Any of you. We are all afraid. Do you understand? All heads nodded but none as vigorously as Aiden's. Now clean up this mess and make restitution for anything you can't restore or Pharaoh help me out. They were moving before she finished. Arbion caught Macaretta before she could set off to join the others. I expect better from you. You're smarter than that. You should stick to your sculptures and paintings. They're lovely and the world can always use more beauty. There's plenty of ugly to go around. Macaretta couldn't quite look her in the eye, but managed to say, I'd like to thank the artist for greater things than pretty pictures and carvings. Arion nodded. Perhaps, but certainly nothing so wonderfully pure of purpose. Then she allowed herself to look back at the tomb of Fenelius, and a thing wrought in stone is a beauty and a truth that lasts forever.
The next morning, things had calmed down. The celebrants were sleeping, and Arvion was looking forward to her first day as a prince's tutor. Passing through the garden of Estramnodon, she spotted her mother sitting on a bench directly across from the door. Arion had seen Nerie in at least 500 years, but little about her had changed. She still wore her cloud-white hair, long and loose, still sat straight and proper, and dressed in what could have been the same white asaka Arion had last seen her wearing. The garments folds enveloped Nerie in a monochromatic pile of silk. The elderly fray presented an image so ancient that it appeared she outlived color. Hello, mother. Oh, it's you. Nerie said with an indifferent tone that nevertheless translated as disappointment. Arion expected something else, something cutting, but her mother merely continued to sit with hands clasped in her lap, looking past her daughter at the sacred door. That's it? Arion asked. You haven't seen me in half a millennia, and oh, it's you, it's all you can say? Nerie turned and faced Arion. She tilted her head up, squinting as she studied her daughter. You look ridiculous shaving your head like that. Also, you're too thin and pale. But I suppose they don't let you out much now that you're a famous magician. An artist, mother. Muralith are artists, not magicians. Magicians perform tricks using sleight of hand. Artists raise mountains, control the weather, and reroute rivers. You use magic. That makes you a magician. Niri's gaze left Arion again and returned to the door. It isn't only the Asuka that hasn't changed, Arvion thought. She sat down beside her mother, who frowned and shifted over despite having plenty of room. For no reason Arvion was willing to admit, she too sat unusually straight and adjusted the folds of her Asuka, regretting that morning's choice of bright yellow with ornate blue piping. The two sat for several minutes in silence, listening to songbirds in the trees and the trickle of streams and the miniature waterfalls that skilled artisans had crafted to perfection over the centuries. After a minute or two, Arion also looked at the door on the other side of the path. Painted and repainted bright white, the door was an otherwise nondescript gate in a solid circular wall supporting an enclosed dome. Ivy and flowering vines had covered the dome and sides ages ago, but nothing encroached on the door surface. Before it, Several stone benches had been placed for visitors to sit and contemplate the simple white threshold. You look well, Arvion offered. I like your Asuka. Is it new? No, Arvion waited. Nari remained silent. How's Ira? I don't know. I haven't spoken to your father in centuries. Oh, I hadn't heard. Arvion tucked a tiny edge of piping out of sight. I recently separated from Celeste, so it's just me and my little house again. I'm sure it was the filth that drove him out. Her, mother, not him. Celeste is... Uh, never mind. Arion found herself slouching and straightened up again. Why do I let her do this to me? I'm not a child in my first century, nor am I insignificant. I am... I've been appointed to tutor the prince, Arion said. But not in the faith of our Lord Pharaoh, I take it, her mother responded without looking away from the door. Of course not, mother. I'm Mirilith now. I have been for nearly a thousand years. Oh, you're right, she said without a bit of surprise in her voice. Instead, a colorless, odorless poison coated her words. 
You know, most mothers would be proud to have a daughter rise to such an important position in the Fane's court. Nira made a sound with her nose, less than a snort and more than a sniff, but most certainly unfavorable. If the Fane were a devout member of the Umalin tribe rather than a godless Mirilith, I'd agree. We aren't godless, mother, at least no less than the other tribes. Oh no, I've heard the rumors. Mirilith claimed the art has elevated them above everyone else. Some even declare themselves gods. I've never heard a member of any other tribe making such a blasphemous claim. The runes believe the Instaria are gods. Why aren't you complaining about them? That's different. The runes aren't fray. They're barely one step above rabbits. They see gods everywhere. The only fray they've ever met are the Instaria, and I've never heard anyone from that tribe claiming to be gods. I can't say the same about Mirilith. Besides, what a room believes is of no consequence. I'm sure ants consider mice to be gods too. Such notions don't diminish Feral. If you took the time to talk to a few Mirilith rather than basing assumptions on hearsay, you might discover any ideas of divinity are in the minority. And are you in the minority? Neri asked. No. Neri smoothed non-existent wrinkles from her asuka. Well, I'm sure it won't be long before you join their ranks. What with you becoming so important at all? I don't want to fight. Fight? Who's fighting? Nira leaned back, folded her arms, and lifted her chin so that she was looking down her nose at the door. I came here for a few moments of tranquil contemplation. Nothing more, Neri added. Superior even to it, Arvion thought. They sat again in silence, and Aryan wondered if she should leave. She hadn't expected to meet her mother that morning, although she should have. All the Umulin high priests and priestesses were in the city of Estramnodon to witness the coronation of the new fane, and her mother always took every opportunity to visit the door. Given that Niri was a morning person, prone to early dawn meditations, Aryan could have calculated her mother's garden visit down to the minute, but she hadn't. Nerei spent countless hours contemplating the disappointment otherwise known as her daughter, but Aryan gave no thought to her mother. The stab of guilt prompted her to make one last attempt before departing. Is there nothing positive you wish to say to me? Aryan asked. Nerei appeared surprised by the question. She didn't look at Aryan, but she no longer stared faithfully at the door. Her sight fluttered across the ground while she thought. After a long moment, during which Aryan's heart sank with each passing second. Niri nodded, straightened, and smiled. Aryan suspected the grin wasn't born from pride in her daughter, but from the pleasure of beating a dare. I'm pleased to see you in the garden. I wouldn't have thought you came here. It's good to find that despite turning away from your tribe to join the ranks of the new ruling class, you still revered the faith enough to contemplate the mysteries of the door. As backhanded a compliment as it was, Arion simply nodded. She didn't have the heart to tell her mother she had been cutting through the garden because it was the shortest route to the palace. Perhaps Nuri wished to leave her daughter on a positive note or wanted to quit while ahead, but whatever the reason, she stood up. And I'll leave you to do just that, as I wouldn't wish to deprive you of what is certainly the high point of your day. Will you be here again tomorrow? Nuri shook her head. I'm only here to grant blessings on the new fane, which we did yesterday. 
we witnessed that ridiculous ceremony and watched the new fane planted his exalted backside on the forest throne. Then we saw the whole city go insane in celebration. A bunch of your deranged Mirlith flooded Florella Plaza. Did you know that? Those were students, and they were trying to make a sculpture of Fane Lothian out of the waters of the Shinar River. They weren't successful. No, they weren't, because success is only achieved through physical labor, faith in Feral, and determination of the spirit. I still pray that one day you'll come to understand those truths. She walked away before Aryan could say anything more, even goodbye. Aryan lingered on the bench, watching her mother go. I'll never see her again. I wonder if she cares. Neither Nuri nor Aryan was young. Nuri was pushing 2,500, and Aryan had just recently turned 2,000. Frey rarely lived more than 3,000 years. Since a previous fane had ruled for nearly 2,600 years, and it had taken a coronation to bring Neri into the city, both of them would likely be dead before another opportunity rose. Of course, Aryan could visit her mother, but she saw no point in traveling for days to repeat this encounter. Aryan sighed, flopped against the back of the bench, and looked at the door. She couldn't help it. The thing was right across from her. She walked by the relic every day, but she hadn't really looked at it more than a century. Like her mother, it hadn't changed. Most people wondered what was on the other side, and Aryan was no different. This unknowable truth was the reason for the benches. Frey would come to the garden to sit and contemplate the transcendent world beyond. Maybe it was guilt brought on by her mother, or perhaps because she hadn't done so in such a long time, but Aryan closed her eyes, cleared her mind, and prayed. She's wrong. Arion was pulled from her meditation when she heard the voice and opened her eyes. Sitting on the next bench over, a fellow in a dingy brown robe leaned forward, elbows on knees, staring at the door as people usually did, just as she had done. Success, he continued, is achieved most consistently through cruelty and deception. Determination of the spirit certainly helps, but faith in Pharaoh's a currency as valuable as a pair of shoes two sizes too small. It's not polite to eavesdrop, Arion replied. That was a private conversation. Arion stood to go. She already lingered too long and might be late for her first instruction with the prince. The lad was only 25 years old and in desperate need of training in the way of the art. His previous instructors had been too lenient, leaving the prince with a woeful lack of skill. Before Fenelius's death, she had asked Arion to take over her grandson's education. He will rule one day, and I fear he will be a curse if something isn't done, Arion's mentor had said. It had come as a surprise when the new fane agreed to honor his mother's wishes. Arion had been convinced that Lothian disliked her and was jealous of his mother's attention towards someone who wasn't related. You should be more like Arion, Fenelius used to say, oblivious to the insult to her son and unconcerned about the possible trouble it might cause Arion once Lothian assumed the throne. So far, the new fane had surprised her. Arion took a step toward the palace, but the fellow spoke again. Pointing across from them, he said, That door can't be opened. Ever try? You could cleave it with an axe, ram it with a tree, or set fire to its wood, and nothing would happen. Even a master of the art can't breach it. Such a small, simple door, but all the power in nature. 
is useless against it. So the question is, how did she do it? How did who do what? Are we going to ask? Fenelius, how did she get inside? How did she get past the door? I don't know that she did that. Argon didn't care for the stranger. A full head of hair indicated he probably wasn't a Mirlith, which made her wonder about his comet. Even a master of the art can't breach it. How does he know what the art is and isn't capable of? Argon wondered. Oh, she did. Trust me. Argon didn't trust him, not in the least. Her discomfort wasn't merely because he was a stranger. His appearance was disturbing. She prided herself on proper grooming, and he was the most unkempt person she had ever seen. His brown robe was frayed, torn, and stained in more than a few places. He has actual dirt under his fingernails. She shuddered at the sight and turned away. No one saw her go in or come out, he went on, despite Arion's obvious avoidance. The visit was all very hush-hush, and she denied it, or rather avoided the subject, for the remainder of her life. Then she didn't go inside, Argon declared. Fenelius was an extremely honest person. I knew her well. I know. Argon looked back at him then. You know what? She was the mother you always wish you had, instead of the pompous, pious, prejudiced prue who just left. Nuri still considers your decision to leave her birth tribe and join the Mirlith an act of heresy. She can't understand why you turned your back on the priesthood to become one of them. Arion felt uneasy. She was certain she'd only referred to Nuri as mother, yet this man had used her name. Since her mother lived in seclusion, it was unlikely the two were acquaintances. Even more disturbing, Arion didn't remember seeing this man while talking to her mother. For that matter, she hadn't seen anyone around them during their chat. Has he been spying on me? And if so, why? Who are you? She demanded. He smiled. You don't have time for me to answer that. You have a prince to teach. The only reason you stopped was because you accidentally stumbled on your mother while cutting through the garden on your way to the palace. The uneasy sensation turned to a chill. If he'd somehow overheard their conversation, he would know about tutoring the prince. It's even possible he could have known about her history with Niri. A lot of people did. Even if he didn't, he could have guessed as much after listening to them. But thinking more carefully, she was now certain no one had been around them during their conversation. And how could he know why I'm here? Who are you? She asked again. For the sake of expediency, let's limit the answer to a name. You can call me Trilos. His cavalier attitude made him even more of an enigma. Although her mother wasn't impressed with Arian's accomplishments, almost everyone else was. Being a ranked member of the ruling tribe demanded respect in and of itself, but the art made Mirabeth practically invincible, as demonstrated during the recent challenge. And most Frey avoided in contact with practitioners of the art, if at all possible. Those who did summon the courage to speak would do so reverently, carefully avoiding anything that might provoke ire. And Trilos had said more than enough to get on her nerves. Pharaoh's law prevented Frey from killing Frey, but as she had reminded Aiden, it didn't prevent inflicting pain. Mirlith were called artists because of the creativity needed to manifest magic. And when that creativity was applied to acts of retribution, the results could be terrifying. Maybe she had been premature in her assessment of his tribal status. 
Most mirrorless kept their heads shaved in the belief that knots and snarls impeded the flow of the art. But even Fenelius had maintained a luxuriant mane that grew wavy and thick down to the middle of her back. But that was Fenelius. Being the first to wield the art, she didn't know the impediments knotted hair created. When she found out, she was too old to care. I've done well enough in ignorance, wouldn't you say? The old fane had told Aryan. And I admit to my vanity, I wouldn't look nearly as beautiful without hair as you do. Using the art, Aryan performed the mystical equivalent of a harsh stare, examining Trilos. Most often, this revealed only a person's demeanor represented in the form of colors, which wasn't terribly useful. One didn't need the art to detect emotions or moods. But if the subject was an artist, the scrutiny would provide insights about his or her proficiency. What Aryan discovered was nothing. Nothing at all. According to the art, Trilos didn't exist. What are you? She asked. He smiled. Fenelius was no more capable of opening the door than you or even I. So a more interesting question is, how did she do it? You or even I? Arion felt an unfamiliar twinge of fear. Trees had gone from seeds to towering giants since the last time she felt afraid. Fear was a childhood monster banished to a distant memory after she discovered the art. At least a life-threatening brand of terror. But this isn't life-threatening, is it? A person brandishing a blade was an obvious threat. The truly unknown, when it arrived, uninvited, and used your mother's name, possessed a horror all its own. Arion was Miralith, the next best thing to God, according to some ardent practitioners. But what sat beside her was beyond her ability to fathom. The answer is obvious when you think about it. Trilos said and bit into an apple. I'm sure you would have figured it out if you weren't so preoccupied. The answer is this. Fenelius didn't open the door. Did he have that apple before? She couldn't remember. Maybe it was in his hand all along. And I just, wait, where did he get an apple in early spring? She watched him chew, the juice of the fruit slipping over his lower lip and running down his chin. When at last he swallowed, he said, the door was opened for her. He smiled as if expecting her to care, or maybe he thought she would be impressed or intrigued. Instead, she focused on the impossibility of the juice dripping from his chin. Arian was an accomplished artist, probably the fourth most powerful in the world now that Fenelius had passed, but she couldn't manifest creation. As far as she knew, no one could, not even something as simple as an apple. Now you have to ask yourself, who opened it for her and why? What do you want with me? Do you know what's inside? He wasn't going to answer any questions. She considered walking away and wondered if he would let her. Let me? The thought was odd, irrational. She had no reason to believe she could interfere or cause harm, and Arya was far from helpless. So it was strange that she felt threatened. She remained standing in front of the bench, her curiosity battling trepidation. Curiosity won out, and she replied, The first tree. Trilos nodded as he chewed. Your mother will be proud. Yes, the oldest living thing is currently encased in a sarcophagus of stone, accessible by only a small white door that can't be opened. Is there a point I need to leave? History repeats itself. Frequently, in fact. 
but not by its own doing. Trilus looked at the door. Once does not make a pattern, so the world is about to change again, about to go for a spin. You'll be at the center, I think, able to influence the tilt, much like Vanellius. You need to be heedful of strangers, strangers and doors. Then we'll both find out. Find out what? Who opened that door?